Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. All right. Hey, Todd. Dr. Wignall, what are we talking about today? The depression-anxiety connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think? This is a good topic. I think this is... Um, covered a lot in a lot of sessions i think yeah and i think i think you'd agree most of the clients we see are depression anxiety um presentations basically yeah so i would say for most form mild to moderate um mental health issues like anxiety depression is the vast bulk of what brings people to therapy right anyway, some some form of that mm-hmm. um yeah and so maybe the, the place to start is just I, I think the general consensus is that um there's a lot more overlap between these two than people think. You know, we tend to think of them as these kind of discrete categories. And we even almost see them as opposites, right? Depression is kind of when you're down and sort of like too stuck and sort of, whereas anxiety is you're like ramped up and, mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, high activity level. Um, but it's, I, and I don't have the exact statistics on this, but um, I think it's actually more common to experience both than it is to experience just one. Like, so like, just having depression with no, without having much anxiety is less common than having depression and some anxiety and same with same with anxiety most people who experience anxiety have some issues with depression too yeah i think often you see symptoms of um maybe one coinciding with a, maybe a primary diagnosis but mm-hmm. yeah the, the other symptoms will show up so if you if you primarily struggle with some depression usually there's going to be some anxiety symptoms that you experience as well so what's going on with that given that they at least superficially they look very different yeah this is interesting i had a a, um an instructor in grad school who said that depression and anxiety are cousins and they show up at all the same parties (laughs) (laughs) i like that but the, the the idea is that that often um clients wonder about this you know i feel this way but i also feel this way sometimes too and um yeah, they, they do seem to be alike. And there's there's some really common behavioral patterns and thought patterns that are present in both. Yeah, like what? So if at the center of the Venn diagram between um, anxiety and depression, like what do you what do you tend to see that's common to both of those? Avoidant behavior patterns. Mm. Give a quick example of an avoidant pattern in someone with depression and someone with anxiety. Uh, for someone with depression, they may avoid maybe meeting their friends for dinner um, because they just don't want to, they, they feel tired. Their, their friends really don't like them anyway. And so there's a, a pattern of disengaging mm-hmm. from, from things that they, that someone usually finds pretty pleasurable because of some of those feelings and thoughts yep. basically. Yep. And then with anxiety, you'll get avoidance out of, um, kind of a fear based, um, source. So, mm-hmm. Um, I'm worried about this outcome happening, so I'll just avoid that context altogether. I always get awkward in big groups. I, right. I don't want to feel nervous or stutter or whatever, and so mm-hmm. I'm just going to avoid going to that meeting. And so their avoidant patterns are pretty mm-hmm. prevalent in both. In both, yeah. I think, too, I, I see a lot of um, shared cognitive patterns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one one thing I see a lot of is you, you could say both people who struggle both with anxiety and depression, there's a lot of overthinking that goes on in both of those. So in depression, it often takes the form of rumination. You're kind of stewing on something that happened in the past or some mistake you made or, and we call that rumination usually. 
And in anxiety, we, you know, obviously we think of worry. A lot of people who have anxiety tend to worry a lot. Mm-hmm. So you, you're, you might be imagining a potential mistake you could end up making, right? And what someone would think about you. And, um, but if you, if you look at the, <clears throat> and, and while they, those look kind of very different superficially, the underlying activity is kind of the same. Like when, you, when you're going over and over and over some mistake you made in the past, right? Or whether you're going over and over and over some potential future danger, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same type of thinking. It's just aimed at a different target. Yeah, yeah. I, I really look at these as um, kind of internal behavior patterns, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're almost habitual thought patterns that start when um, certain other features show up. So if you can kind of learn to identify when you're ruminating or when you're worrying, um, it, it helps to be able to say, oh, I'm doing that habit again. I'm engaging in that mm-hmm. habit again. Yeah. Well, and that's the other factor that, that you see a lot with both of these is people get stuck, mm-hmm. right? They get stuck in ruminating, stuck in worrying and can't or have a hard time disengaging or like pulling out of that and, and doing something else, right? So that kind of, there's kind of a rigidity or a stuckness to these mental patterns or internal behaviors that that we get in. Yeah, that's the going over and over and over it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another like theory for this, I think, is, and maybe this isn't necessarily incompatible with what we've just talked about, but that there are sort of, there's a, kind of an underlying personality trait that gives rise to both of these, like neuroticism, for instance, mm-hmm. that... If you are high on neuroticism, um, that is going to predispose you to both anxiety and depression. It's sort of this vulnerability to both of those. To negative emotions. Yeah. To aversive emotions. Right. Yeah. And and so, yeah, having that kind of high reactivity to negative emotions or aversive emotions. um, Yeah. You just predispose you to those. Feel them more. You just kind of get hit by them more. Yeah. They impact a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing, the other way to think about this depression, anxiety connection, I, I remember when I was in grad school early on, I had this professor who, who said, or a supervisor actually, who said something like, um, when you're confronted with anxiety, if you dig deep enough, you're going to find depression. And when, when you're uh. confronted with depression, if you dig deep enough, you're going to find anxiety. And I, like, I remember that being kind of baffling for a while. Like, what, what does that mean? Does that mean like I... I diagnose this person with anxiety and you think I'm wrong. It's actually depression or mm. what, like what's going on with that. Um, and, but what I've come to realize is that I think often, not necessarily always, these two things, um, serve like a particular function with respect to one another. So that what I mean is a lot of times anxiety, for instance, can serve as a way to avoid, um, depression or, or, large bouts of sort of sadness or grief. Mm. So in other words, like, and again, I, grief is actually a good example. I see this a lot. People who, who go through some sort of grief or even trauma, um, say they're very, very sad about the loss of, of someone close to them. And they, they find that kind of intolerable. And so they just keep themselves constantly busy and stressed out with stuff. Mm. There's always got something to, well, there's always something to worry about and something they're doing and they're kind of always exhausted and like, and so they come in and they're, they're kind of anxious, right? They're like wound Mm -hmm. up and stressed out. And, um, but that anxiety is actually serving a function, which is to distract from or keep at bay 
something more underlying, mm-hmm. which is so- something more like like grief or sadness or, or even depression, right? right? And then the flip side is is sometimes true too, where um, someone might be so. Sometimes you see you see someone who's who's depressed, and I've seen this multiple times. That what's what when you kind of dig deep enough with the depression, what you realize is they're very very afraid of like taking their life in a new direction. Mm. They, they kind of, they found themselves on one particular path in life and they kind of, maybe they realize like, this is not what I really want. Like, this is not the direction I want to be going in life. Maybe it's not the, I'm married to the person I don't want to really want to be married to. I'm in a career I don't actually want to be in, like wh- whatever it is. But they feel like it's, that's just, it's, it's too scary to even imagine making a big change, right? So there's this core kind of fear and the, the depression is sort of this, like, I don't want to face that fear. So I'm just going to kind of resign myself to like, well, this is just kind of the way it is. Yeah. Um, what yeah. Do you, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you, so what do you make of that, that kind of idea that anxiety can mask depression and depression can often mask anxiety? And, and I don't, I'm not sure about masking. I, I understand what you're saying there. It can kind of, because I, I meet a lot of clients that will report that they're depressed when they come in. Mm-hmm. They're really unhappy and, and, and. Maybe they, they have a few days where they're not going to work and they feel really, you know, depressed and sad. And that's what they're really calling it is depression. And like you said, you dig under it and you find out oh, actually they're miserable in their marriage or their job and they're terrified of leaving it. And every time they kind of really get motivated to leave it, they're, they're, the fear is just too much and they're mm-hmm. anxious or socially anxious or awkward. Um, and then the resulting kind of realization that they're, not connecting to the things that are really important to them, life results in some depression, right? Yeah. It, it, it kind of works that way. Right. Um, but it also makes sense. So if you, if you, let's say you're really depressed and you're avoiding a lot of the things that um, would, would, would make you a f- functional going to work and doing those things, then pretty soon when the bills start piling up in the corner, you start getting pretty anxious because oh. you know, the, the demand from the environment is such that it's, it, it can push people into kind of this anxious state mm-hmm. or you can be so anxious and avoid all these things because of um, intense fear and then realize what's going on and become very depressed about how your life is stuck and you're, you're, you're frozen and um, your, your life's not moving in the direction you want. So I think they're related that way. And, and I think yeah. this is a similar thing um, as masking, but it, it, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's not uncommon to see clients kind of bounce between these symptoms because of um, the effect that either one has on them. Yeah, so it's almost like staying, if you're depressed long enough, you, that's going to result in a lot of things to be anxious about. Yeah. And if you're, if you're in this heightened state of anxiety long enough, All the you're time. Gonna, it's gonna, that's going to result in things to get pretty depressed about. Yeah, and, and you can see this very clearly in, in a, a real intense uh, situations like obsessive compulsive disorder where that intense anxiety about um, maybe cleaning or contamination results in this deep depression of, you know, this, I've seen clients just in almost despair about how much this is ruling their lives and controlling right. them. And you see a lot of depressive symptoms at that point, mm-hmm. but the, but the primary reason might be something more like anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that, that the, the relationship is, it's sort of a two way street. It's not just this leads to this in one type of person, or this leads to this in another type of person, but they kind of feed off each other. Yeah. I think it's a mistake sometimes that we categorize them so distinctly because it it would be really awkward if, if you didn't have interactions um, and, and multiple different kind of ways to feel about something at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I sometimes I ask my um, clients, n- not usually right away. W- once I kind of know someone um, a little bit more, one of my favorite questions is, "What's your least favorite emotion?" Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, and like, and not just. I, I try to get kind of deep at it to like, no, like which emotion are, do you, re, if you could take a pill and never have to experience one type of painful emotion, which one would you choose mm. to just rid yourself of forever? Yeah. And it's, it's an often an interesting question because it, it, I think it shows you how often our, our behaviors are, are motivated by avoiding a particular kind of feeling. And you can imagine how for different people, given different backgrounds and, and ways of being raised, you might have a particular feeling that you are just really don't want to feel and will do just about anything, including feeling a bunch of other really aversive feelings mm-hmm. in order to get out of that one feeling. So if you grew up in a family where like being like inactive or unhappy was considered bad and even kind of like punished, like you have to be cheerful and productive and active all the time, right? Y- you might grow up really being afraid of being sad and you might end up doing all sorts of things in order to avoid feeling that, including things that keep you super stressed out and anxious all the time because you're terrified of getting even a little bit sad. And thereby kind of training yourself that you can't have that emotion. Yeah, right. Yeah. Literally making yourself more sensitive to it. Yeah, yeah. It's an, it's an interesting thing to to encourage people to pursue and chase and experience and tolerate emotions they hate. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, and it, but it also, even if they don't end up doing anything, it's pretty illuminating where you, if you look back at your life through that lens of like, what's the one emotion I really would prefer? Like a lot of your behaviors, I think, end up making some interesting amount of sense when you look back through that lens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and often, you know, running away from an emotion is going to cause a lot more of it to appear in your life. Yeah, or, or other difficult emotions. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's like so many things in life that what feels good in the moment often leads to feeling much worse in the long run. And on the other hand, being willing to feel not great in the moment often leads to feeling better long-term. Especially if there's a payout that's worth it. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks. Thanks.